If you're a Christian, you know the value of reading the Bible. But have you ever written the Bible by transcribing it word for word on paper? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why the process of writing from the Bible in your own hand is such a powerful way of working God's Word into your heart. From the series, The Word, here's David to introduce his message, The Written Word. Friends, many of you have been reading the Bible all of your life. Some of you have been outlining it. Some of you have been taking notes on messages on the Bible. Many of you have memorized the Bible. But I would imagine not too many of you have written the Bible. And uh, that's something we have challenged people to do over this past year. In fact, we created a couple of special journals to help people get started. And what it's about is this. What you write, you remember. Someone said what you write gets into a special part of your mind, which causes you to remember it in a way you wouldn't remember anything else. And I'm always uh, intrigued by that because I remember as a kid, when I was in class, if I did something wrong, sometimes the teacher would say, okay, you go over there and sit in the corner, and I want you to write 100 times. I will not do that again. Now, I don't know if it helped, but at least they thought it did. And uh, there is now scientific evidence that what we write, we remember. So today and tomorrow, I'm going to talk with you about copying the Scripture. And I'm going to give you the basis for that from the Scripture in a very interesting passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me encourage you, if you've never done this before, to get yourself a notebook, a little journal, and then just get the Word of God, whatever section you want to read or study or write. The book of Philippians is a good one to start with because it's a short book and it's easy to copy. And then just with your Bible on your left side and your notebook uh, in front of you, you just, every verse, you copy it out in your own handwriting in a notebook. And you say, Dr. Jeremiah, who would ever do that? And who came up with that idea? Well, let's find out right now. Donald Jackson is one of the world's best and most well-known calligraphers. In fact, he is today the official scribe and calligrapher to the Crown Office of the United Kingdom of Great Britain in Northern Ireland. The person responsible for creating all of the official state documents for Queen Elizabeth II. But his greatest accomplishment is a project that began as a childhood dream and took decades to complete. It's the creation of a handwritten, illuminated Bible. The project began in earnest in the early 1990s. While attending a retreat in New Mexico, he sketched out a concept of what a handwritten Bible might look like. A few years later, he traveled to St. John's Abbey, presented the monks there with an idea about collaborating on a millennium-worthy project, which was officially commissioned in 1998. On March 8, 2000, Jackson penned the project's first words on a page of vellum, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Writing with quills made of goose, turkey, and swan feathers, dipped in 130-year-old Chinese ink, it took Jackson and his team of scribes another year to complete the Gospels and the book of Acts. And for another decade after that, the team continued copying the rest 
of the nearly 775,000 words in the Bible, word for word. Finally, in December of 2011, the project achieved completion when Jackson wrote the word Amen on the final page of the book of Revelation. He said, now that I have inscribed the final Amen, I realize that over the long years of this task, a boyhood dream, I have gradually absorbed an enduring conviction of the pin-sharp relevance of these ancient biblical texts to the past, to the present, and to the future of our personal and public life and experience. These texts, he wrote, have a life of their own, and their life is a mirror of the human spirit and experience. Today, the St. John's Bible that he completed is on display at the Alquin Library on the campus of St. John's University in Minnesota. It's bound in seven volumes. The Bible contains 1,150 pages. It weighs 165 pounds, and it measures two feet tall by three feet wide when it's opened. The cost of the project came in at $8 million. And if you're interested in purchasing your own copy, be prepared to shell out 150 grand for a copy of the handwritten Bible. Handwriting the Bible is not anything new. In fact, I am told that an entire Bible transcribing movement has existed in South Korea since the 1980s. One woman I read about there has copied the entire Bible by hand 12 times in three languages, Korean, Japanese, and English. But the practice actually goes back thousands of years. In the Old Testament, God's people had scribes whose job it was to pass on God's word by making written copies. And throughout the church's history, monks have transcribed the Bible devoting their entire lives to studying and living out God's Word. But I think the best example of all of it is found in the book of Deuteronomy in the 17th chapter. And I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in this chapter so you'll understand. In this chapter, Moses is outlining the most important priorities for the future king of Israel. At this point in time, they do not have a king, but they're about to get one. And Moses is telling the people what will be expected of the king, what he is to do and what he is not to do. In verses 14 through 16 of Deuteronomy 17, Moses lists five things that Israel's future king must not do. He shall not be a foreigner. He shall not multiply horses for himself. He shall not cause the people to return to Egypt. He shall not multiply wives to himself, and he shall not multiply silver and gold to himself. But when we come to the next verse, verse 17, Moses leaves the negative prohibition list behind, and he tells the king to do some very curious things. Here is Moses' positive instruction to the king of Israel. It shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, 
that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, that's a little wordy passage, but in this section of Scripture, we discover that there are three commands and four blessings associated with God's Word. And let's look at each one of them one at a time. First of all, the king was commanded to copy God's Word. Verse 18 says, It shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. Now, the law at that time were the first five books of the Bible, but that all was considered to be the law. In Deuteronomy 17, 18, Moses commanded the king to make his own personal copy of that. Can you imagine the president of the United States, either the past one or the present one, waking up each morning and beginning his day by writing out the Bible in the Oval Office? Dream on. (laughs) Now, the king of Israel was to make this copy, and he was to put it in a book. And this was probably a tanned leather scroll made from some sheepskin or goatskin. And he was to do this in front of the Levitical priests so they could make sure he didn't make any mistakes. In the Old Testament, the command to write out the text of Scripture was not isolated to the king. You'll find it in several places. Here are a couple of illustrations. Here is one passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The people of Israel were told to write God's word on the outside of their house. And toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, as Israel was on the verge of going into the promised land, Moses said this, It shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. The Israelites were to write the word of God on the doorposts and gates of their houses and on large whitewashed rocks or stones of memorial. Now, we wouldn't do those things today, and I can honestly tell you I haven't done those things. But I have discovered the important benefit of writing things out, writing them down. If you came to buy a little study in my house, you would see a little pile of tablets. They're a special kind of tablet. I've got to have exactly the right one. I drive my secretaries nuts trying to find them because they're not easy to find. But when I'm going to read an important book, I get that tablet, and as I'm reading, I copy out of the book the things that are important to me. In fact, it's kind of embarrassing. I have a couple of tablets that are almost a reproduction of the book itself. 
because the book was so important. I do this because this helps me remember what is in that book. And I could honestly tell you, and I don't say this other than to illustrate this point, that when that process has happened, I hardly ever forget what's in that book. And sometimes I can even tell you where it is on the page and how to find it. Often my first step in preparing messages to bring to you on the Lord's Day or on Saturday night has included handwriting out the main passage word for word using pen and paper. Notice I have not yet used the word computer. (laughs) I've discovered that something wonderful happens when I take the time to slow down and write out a passage of Scripture word for word on a piece of paper. New details about familiar stories stick out. Phrases that I have skimmed over for years and thought I have read, I now discover truth that I had missed. New meaning, new questions, new connections in my mind. It's as if the words I am copying flow from the paper through the ink and into my heart. (laughs) When I copy God's Word, I have to slow down. How many of you can imagine, because you know me, That's a big deal for me to slow down. I was built more for speed than comfort. How about the rest of you? I don't have a low gear. I don't even have a second gear. I just have a high gear. But when I copy God's Word, I have to slow down. And that's a good thing in our age of destruction. This week I read that people check their smartphones on average every 12 minutes during their waking hours. 71% of people with a smartphone never turn it off. And 40% say they check their phone within five minutes of waking up in the morning. Focusing on God's Word without distraction for a few minutes a day is a wonderful anecdote to the frantic pace of a world that is centered on technology. Just put your electronic things away. Get basic. Get your pen and your Bible and get ready to do something that is life-changing. Slowing down and copying God's Word is good for your soul. It's also good for your mind. Did you know that science has shown that writing things down on a piece of paper actually encodes the information to a part of your brain that is easier to access and review? So if you want to remember what you read, write it down. I couldn't help for all of us in my generation to reflect back on some of my grade school days when I would get in trouble and the teacher would make me go sit down in a corner and tell me to write, I will not talk in class 100 times. You remember that? I thought that, well, why would I do that? It's kind of a stupid thing. Well, the purpose was to impress you not to do that again. I'm sure it had some effect, although if you had to do it more than once, as I did, it didn't have a lasting effect, obviously. (laughs) So the first thing that Moses said the new king had to do was he had to write a copy of the law, and it says, for himself in a book. He obviously didn't need to do that so he would have access to the law because the priests and scribes were at his disposal. This wasn't... For anyone else, it was for him. 
It was so that he could benefit from this discipline. Then the Bible says he was not only to copy God's word, but he was to carry God's word. Deuteronomy 17, 19 says, and it shall be with him. Everywhere the king went, he was to take his personal copy of the word of God with him. He was encouraged to take that with him wherever he went. It was to be his lifelong companion and source of guidance and strength. In his book, Reading for Preaching, Cornelius Plantiga told a story about visiting death row in the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. He said that during his visit, he struck up a conversation with a smallish man whose wire-rimmed glasses and intelligent expression made him look a little professorial. Plantiga asked him how he spends his days. And the man picked up his Bible and held it up and he said, I spend a lot of time reading our book. Listen to that, reading our book. I'm glad it's so big because I'll never get to the bottom of it. And then he said something Plantiga said he will never forget. He said, you know, there are two billion of us Christians in the world and everything today that any of us does that's any good has something to do with our book. And I have a copy of it right here in my cell. Plantiga walked away from the conversation convicted that he had almost certainly been underestimating the Bible. And if this very decorated theologian could say that, I would say for all of us, we underestimate the Bible. We underestimate its potential and its power in our lives. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I've always felt guilty when people said we should meditate on the Word of God. I don't consider myself a good meditator. But what we're going to tell you about today will be the closest thing to meditation most of us, most of you, will probably ever do. And all those promises in the Bible of benefits to people who meditate, they're just out there waiting, waiting for us to take hold of them. The king was to copy God's word. He was to carry God's word. And finally, he was to make a commitment to God's word. He was to read it all the days of his life. The king was to read the word daily as long as he lived. Does that sound overwhelming? Well, let me tell you the story of one man's path to daily Bible reading. Jason Inman grew up as the seventh son of pastors whose parents were also pastors. I mean, he'd heard the words, read the Bible a lot during his life. But no one ever forced him to do it, so he didn't. He went through life thinking, you know what, I should read the Bible more, but he never did. (laughs) Sound familiar? The next thing he knew, he was married, he had kids, he was in a career, life seemed so hard. Jason struggled with decision-making. He had bad self-talk. He was often discouraged, and at the same time, he felt a nag to read the Bible more. And the more that he felt he should read the Bible more, the less he read. And the less he read, the more he felt he should read it more. Then one day, he decided to download a Bible app to his phone. 
And when he subscribed to the verse of the day, something cool happened. Jason would have a negative thought about himself, and the verse of the day would encourage him. He would need to make a decision, and he'd remember yesterday's proverb. He'd start to lose patience with his kids, and that day's verse would come to his mind and heart. Soon, Jason realized that he was coming alive, one verse at a time. (laughs) Not too many years ago, Jason said, I read the Bible here and there, mostly out of guilt. Today, I read it every day because I need it, I like it, and sometimes I actually love it. I want you to see that all of this has a purpose that is anchored in a blessing. These things that the king was told he must do, to copy it, carry it with him, and commit to it, they weren't just giving him an agenda. They were precursors to the blessing of God that Almighty God was waiting to pour out upon him. And here are those blessings. Let's read the rest of the text in verse 19 and 20. Do these things, king of Israel, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, that's a very powerful sentence, very powerful paragraph. So let me ask you these questions. Do you want to grow in the fear of the Lord so that all of your other fears will shrink and go away? Do you want to grow in humility and increase your love for your friends and family and even for your enemies? Do you want to grow in the confidence of a secure future and a lasting legacy? Commit yourself to the written word. The Lord himself promised us that if we would do that, Joshua 1.8, if you meditate in it day and night, you may observe to do according to all is written in it. If you do that, listen carefully. You will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. Did you know that verse, as far as I know, is the only verse in the Bible where Being prosperous and having good success are in the same verse. Do you want to be prosperous and have good success? I'm not talking about material success, although that could be part of it. But success, when you hear God speak of it, is becoming everything God created you to be and total fulfillment of your person. Being completely a part of God's purpose for your life with no reservations. That's what it means to be successful. And to be prosperous according to God. And God said the way you do that is you meditate in this book and you make it a part of your life. You make the Word of God a part of your life. Amen. You literally write it into your heart. You make it a part of who you are. It becomes part of who you are. Put your name there. I am David Jeremiah and Philippians is a part of my life. Because you have written it into your heart. And you won't remember every word. Uh, You may not remember um, half of what you've written, but you'll remember where it is, where to find it, and it will have an impact on you. We did this with all of our congregation, well over 5,000 people. And uh, the reports we got back were just amazing as people talked about how for the very first time the Bible got into their life and they were able to really understand Uh, what the Bible was saying because they were taking the time to write it out. Now, we live in a world where nothing is done that takes any time. Uh, Everything is very fast, very quick. Everything is computerized. But taking the time to very quietly 
very patiently write out the words of the Scripture literally will change your life. And I want to encourage you to do it. Before I say goodbye today, one more time to mention to you that the Living the 66 Books of the Bible gift book is our resource for the month of June. And uh, you can have your copy for a gift of any size uh, in these next couple days. And when you send your gift to help us with the physical year-end giving at Turning Point, simply ask for your copy of the Living the 66 Books of the Bible. We'll send it to you. It'll come right away. And you'll be blessed to study it and learn from it and grow as a response to it. We'll see you tomorrow. And uh, I hope you'll be with us then when we open the scriptures together once more. I'm David Jeremiah. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Word, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled up to $50,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Dr. Albert Schweitzer was a brilliant musician, theologian, and medical doctor. He could have written his own ticket, but he chose to spend the prime of his life serving African natives as a medical missionary. Out of that experience, Schweitzer made this observation. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. 
I have to believe that observation came not only from his own experience, but from the words of Jesus who said, He came not to be served, but to serve. Every follower of Jesus needs to have a way to serve others. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God blesses service on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.